morning. My name is Yeritja Blom. The scripture reading today is Isaiah 55, verse 6 to 13. You can find this in your pew Bible on page 1148. Isaiah 55, verse 6 to 13, page 1148. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Help us to understand its meaning and inspire and encourage us to bring it into practice. Amen. Amen. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. took this picture a few weeks ago while hiking. It has the image of a path and walking on a path and there actually is several things in this text that that have the background image of walking on a path or the way of life or as we'll hear God's ways uh, that are depicted in it. And so I wanted simply to start with an image like that of being outside somewhere and walking on a path, taking a hike maybe, as a good image to have in our mind as we engage the text today. As we begin to to really consider the text and and get ready to step in it, I want to set the context a little bit. This verses that I had Yadidja read are actually uh, the last part of of a bigger speech. And the first part of the speech is, it starts at at Isaiah 55, 1, where, where there's a, a shouting, actually. One of, my, one of my seminary profs talked about it as someone standing on a table in a marketplace and, and shouting out, Come! Come to me! You who have no money, come buy and eat! Come! And it's this incredible, over-the-top, invitational passage. It's, it's very much those first five verses, attention-getting, in a crowded, busy marketplace, saying, Come! 
Come here. Everybody who's hungry and thirsty, everybody who's got heavy burdens out there, come here. Come here. I have a gift for you. And then we enter the verses that you did your read. And it's as if the person has stepped off the table and he's, he's kind of huddled around with a group of people now. And he's speaking a little more quietly and tenderly to them. It's in this context, you hear the words, seek the Lord while he might be found, and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. You'll see I highlighted a few words there. That, that word forsake is a really interesting word. It, it would be somewhat too cumbersome to, to put it into English, especially in a, a poetry passage and, and capture all that that word means. But maybe this is a way for us to think about it. Think about the heaviest thing you have ever carried. What's the heaviest thing that you have ever carried? Got something in mind? Yeah? Imagine having to carry that on a hike through the woods. All right? So it gets a little heavier, right? It starts to weigh you down and, and, and have a bit of a burden on you. The underlying image to that word forsake means to release or to let go of or to leave behind or take off of. And it's really often applied to, to a donkey that's carrying a load that's too heavy for it. And no, I didn't just call you all donkeys, okay? But it is something that it says it's got such a heavy load that it's, it can't really walk anymore. It's being weighed down. The load is not something it was meant to carry. It's too big for it. And someone needs to step in and release the belt that holds that weight on so the load can fall off the side of the donkey. That's all behind the word forsake. <laughs> let, the wor let the wicked forsake their ways. Let the let those who are burdened down by their wicked ways, by their sin, have it released so that they can walk again. Let them have that load that is heavy on them, that's just weighing them down, be taken off so that they're set free. How many of us come here today with a heavy load? I don't know what the heavy load is for each person. I, Mark, I don't know what the heavy load is. But I imagine there's some heaviness somewhere. That we each have a bit of heaviness that we carry with us. We heard a little bit this morning about Betty's heaviness. We heard a little bit about the Vandenberg's heaviness. And on this day, Mother's Day, it is a day in particular that some people carry a deep heaviness. Having longed for children and never had them. Never having that privilege of being a mother and having longed for it so deeply and wondered, God, why are you doing this to me? A heaviness that weighs deeply on people as they come into a place of worship. We feel the brokenness of our bodies and the brokenness of the world around us, and we feel it. 
And this passage isn't trying to gloss over that. In fact, it's, it's naming the heaviness. It starts with the heaviness. It starts in a marketplace where people are trying to buy and, and grab and get a hold of the resources they need for daily living. And they're shouting and there's noise all over and it's, it's cacophonous. I love that word. That cacophony that, that kind of fills the space around us so that we can't think and we, we feel pressure around us and we want to just get out from under it and away from it. Let the wicked forsake their ways. It's a biblical image of saying, let all that weighs us down be taken off of us. Our sin, the sin of the world around us, the sin that can't be put on any one person but it's just part of our broken humanity, let that weight be taken off of us passage is first of all an invitation to let go of everything that's hanging on to us and then it adds the word and to turn to turn to the Lord it actually the word turn would be better return here it has the idea of an about face an 180 degree turn and you may think of about it as, as walking down one path as far as you can and, and realizing it's a dead-end path and you're getting nowhere and then letting go of things and letting go of that path and saying, I'm going to leave that path behind now. And I'm going to go back to where I started. And there is, in this opening section, this call to go back to God. To turn back to God and say, God, I don't know you necessarily I don't have things figured out but I know the way I'm heading isn't working and I need you it's an invitation to acknowledge our brokenness in the summers when I was a, a intern during seminary I worked at a community development center for part of that summer where I simply was the chaplain or pastoral presence for people who were dropping in. And most of my day consisted of sitting and listening to people. And one of the guys came in and he talked to me about how he couldn't walk in the church building. I said, why is that? He said, well, if I go in there, I know I'm going to have to give up my alcohol. I know I'm going to have to let it go. And, and as he talked, he, he had this fear of God that came out, a fear that God would judge him and condemn him, and that, that love of the alcohol and that fear of God combined to make a mix where, where he couldn't see himself coming into God's presence. It's that image of God that he had that many of us have. Image of God as being a wrathful, judgmental God who's ready to strike us down. We read that initial creation story and then the, the fall where Adam and Eve sin and they go hiding in the garden and God says, where are you? And we hear it with this angry tone. Where are you? As if God needs the coordinates to strike us down. Yet this passage, and in fact much of Scripture, is, is portraying a different voice of God. A voice that is saying, come, come home, come in, I experience grace, experience the forgiveness that I've set out for you already. And this last part of this section, 
He will have mercy on you. He will freely pardon. The freely pardon also has the idea of abundantly or lavishly pardon. He will do it. We come before God and God say to God, these are the burdens I'm carrying. This is what's weighing on my heart and my soul and keeping me away from you and away from others. This is the burden on my back. God says, let me lift it off you. Let me carry it for you. Let me relieve you of the burden that is weighing upon you. Let me take the sin away, the brokenness of other people's sin away. Let me lift the weight off you and do so lavishly. That gentleness, that desire of God to be a gentle, welcoming God who embraces us continues right in the next section. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, oftentimes this verse is taken out of context. And it's used to talk about how how we can't understand God or can't comprehend God because he's so different than us and our minds just don't have the capacity to reach up to God. But in the context of this passage, right before it and right after it, are words of grace and forgiveness. And what it's saying is that God's ways, God's way of being in this world, God's character is so different than our character that it's difficult for us to understand forgiveness. Ways and thoughts in this passage have to do with a a way of life or a way of thinking. It's It's the pattern, the habits. And think about the broader context. You're in a marketplace where there's shouting and competition and trying to see who can sell the wares the cheapest and, and who can get, get the most advantage. And there's, there's buying and consuming and it's back and forth and, and competition. And it's in that context that, that God's saying, I'm giving things away for free. You thought you had to earn the right to come before me. You thought you had to pay for my services. No, they're free. And it's saying, you don't understand my ways because my ways take a different approach. I give away generously rather than demand that you earn or pay for what I have to offer. It's at the heart of the gospel. A God who lavishes grace on us in Jesus Christ, who says, I'm giving you salvation even when you're my enemies. I'm reaching out to you even when you're opposed to me. I'm shedding grace and grace upon grace, even when you're angry and frustrated and bitter. I give grace. God's ways are not our ways. He's not seeking revenge to destroy us. He's not out to get us. He's a God who's out to welcome us home. There's an image that he ends up using in this passage. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it as the rain and the snow. 
God wants us to have that image in mind of rain and snow watering the earth and causing things to flourish. So we're going to do a little experiment this morning. Oh, and you got that video pulled up? Now, to be fair and up front, as you hear this, this video is actually on YouTube for the purpose of helping people fall asleep. My goal is not to get you to sleep during the middle of the sermon. But I do want us to hear the rain falling and to see the image of things growing so that we have that image in us as we hear what God is attempting to do when he extends his grace to us through this word. And we're going to let it play for about a minute and a half. And to risk it, if some of you want to close your eyes, go ahead. Go ahead, Owen. God's voice could be like rolling thunder and harsh and full of lightning and danger. And yet God says to us when we are weak and heavy burdened, I speak to you and I work in your life as if I am a gentle rain coming to bring new life, coming to bring a flourishing life. God who is positioning himself not as one with heavy judgment and condemnation, but one who is making every way possible for life to be renewed and restored in the broken places of our hearts and minds and relationships. God who is reaching out to us in his desire that, it might, that, that the whole creation might bud and flourish, but but that it would be so, so that everybody can flourish together, the sower and the bread for the eater, so that, so that there's a, a, a kind of echoing or reverberating life that comes into all of God's creation, that ourselves and our neighbors 
and the world around us begins to fill and overflow with the goodness of God and the grace of God and the abundant life of God. This is God's vision. It comes out at the end that as God lifts the weight off of us, as God releases us from the sins and the burdens that weigh us down, and as God's gentle voice speaks into our life, that we would go out with joy and be filled with peace. It's kind of a, a legendary conversation that C.S. Lewis supposedly walked into at one point, and people were debating what makes Christianity different from other world religions, and he, he responded simply, it's, it's joy. It's the capacity for joy. There is a gift that God gives us that allows us to be joyful in God's presence and, and to approach life not as something that we have to fight our hardest to win at, but as something that we receive as an incredible gift, just as we receive a spring rain watering the earth and causing things to grow. And that posture of receiving life from God as a gift, as a God who wants to lift us up out of our brokenness and give us a new life, is, leads to the place where as we receive that gift, we become more and more free and more and more joyful. It's as if we've experienced that weight being taken off of us. We've been hunched over and, and burdened and heavy, heavy laden. And that weight is released from us. And as that weight releases, we're able to stand up again. We're able to look people in the eye again. We're able to have honest relationship with each other again. We're being restored with God and with each other to the point that we can be joyful. And we can be filled with peace instead of anxiety, instead of worry, instead of grasping for control. Our life becomes characterized by a peacefulness before God and before the situations that we face. The great thing about this is, this passage goes on to say it's not just a self-help type of a passage. It's actually part of God's vision for making all things new. I don't know if you caught that in here, but it's, it's not just that you're going to experience joy and peace, but that as, as God lifts the weight of sin and brokenness off of us, it begins to affect the rest of the world around us. So much so that it says the mountains and the hills will burst forth in song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. I could have grabbed another video that, that it does sound like trees clapping their hands as the wind goes through them. And there's a sense of joy and peacefulness and vibrancy that fills creation itself. And the very end of this has a beautiful image. It's, it's an image, a glimpse that God's giving to Isaiah and to us of the end. When, when the curse itself will be reversed, Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. Do you remember those consequences from creation? And God speaking to Adam about, about his choice of, of falling away from God, and he says, the earth will resist you. 
You will toil and there will be thorns and briars in there. That's the image in there. That, that creation itself will resist the work you do in it. It will no longer produce life. And here, it's saying those signs of the curse, the thorns and the briars and the resistance of creation will be removed. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of this, says, giant sequoias are going to grow. It's that idea of a, a fullness of life that we can almost not measure. It, it, it blows our imagination that all of creation itself will thrive because of the work God is doing and has already begun in His Son, Jesus Christ, and is extending to each of us to come participate in the new life that He is giving and offering. It's actually what we did here this morning with Iris. Put a little water on her. But it's water to nurture that seed of faith that's already being planted in her by her family and in this community. That seed of faith that God is not only at work in her life, but at work making all things new. It's what we long for and what we begin to hope for as God's people. That every evidence of brokenness and divisiveness in the world will be undone. Every consequence of sin will be removed until all of creation itself, every relationship, every aspect of God's creation will flourish because of what God has done in Jesus Christ and what God is doing in the Spirit. We're going to pick that last piece up next week. We're going to come back to it again and talk about the second coming and the idea of Christ returning and making all things new. And we'll spend some more time with this. But for today, hear God's word. Not an angry word, but a God who gently reaches out to us and says, I see you heavy laden and burdened. And I want to lift those burdens from you and release them from you so that you can receive my peace and my grace and overflow with the joy I have for you. Let's pray. God, we're often suspicious of good things because we spend so much of our life fighting to earn and to protect what we have. We live in a world that's marked by so much competition that we end up feeling like we're fending for ourselves and that weight of fending for ourselves is too heavy. We weren't meant to carry it. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your Son, to enter into our suffering and the brokenness that we carry and to carry it on himself. Thank you that through his death and resurrection, you promise us new life. And thank you for the glimpse of that new life here. May we hear your voice, not as an angry voice out to condemn us, it is a gentle voice longing to restore us. Help us to return to you, to find your arms wide open and new life in your grace. It is in Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we'll sing together Your Grace is Enough, number 698.